Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we've got a Windy City matchup as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 433. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out, where I chat with Chris McPherson to get into his highest priorities going into this football game. What is most top of mind for Eagles fans as we sit here on Wednesday? C-Mac and I will get into that at the top of the show. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennell and I have gone through the tape on both of these teams, the Eagles and the Bears. We've spent hours talking about it off mic. And now we're going to take that, all of our thoughts, we're going to share them with you. We'll take through uh, what we deem as the most important things going into this matchup. Then to close out the show in faux focus, we're going to catch up with a guy who has been on this show before. He's one of my go-to sources for Chicago Bears intel. That is Dan Durkin. Uh, he's done a great job breaking down the X's and O's for the Bears for years. He's going to join us to give us the lowdown on this team going into Sunday afternoon. Before we get there, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will get to it in an upcoming episode. Appreciate all of those who have left us ratings here as we are right in the thick of the holiday season and into the meat of the stretch run for this Eagles team. Also, this week on Eagles Game Plan, I caught up with Eagles running back coach Jamal Singleton. He was on a few weeks back. He was awesome. And after Miles Sanders' huge rushing performance against the New York Giants, I thought, let's have Coach Singleton back on again. He joined me this week on Eagles Game Plan. Here's a few bites from a segment we call Tape study. Career day for Miles Sanders last week against the New York Giants. 144 yards rushing, eight and a half yards per carry. What can you say about number 26 and what he did last week against the Giants? Well, one thing is I'm starting to realize that if I get invited down here, my guys have played pretty well. <laughs> so this is a good part. But awesome day for Miles, just how he performed. And there's going to be some things that we're going to look at that maybe you didn't see, maybe you didn't know about because he didn't have the ball in his hands. But what he does without the ball in his hands is was just as good as what he did with it. So we've seen the Eagles have a lot of success with zone schemes, gap schemes this one a gap scheme run talk about what the what the difference is for miles reading out those different kinds of plays you mentioned he's kind of chasing the inside gap the inside hip of the tight end on this play how is that different from say a zone run uh, for miles well i think one of the main differences you can see is the formation that we're in we're in the pistol and we can do a lot of different things out of this formation. It's very similar to being under center, but it allows us to do even more when you talk about regame stuff. So it's a great addition to what we've been doing offensively. You can see he's going really the opposite direction of where the play is going to hit. So his timing is extremely imperative of watching the second puller here in this case, the tight end of getting across there. So he gets and just that little stutter downhill, a little bit of patience that gets him into that position. Now you can see he's exactly where he has to be. Now, there's a lot of guys that are going to see the tightness of that and try to go to the outside edge, which isn't what you want to have happen. You've got to stay in a gap scheme right in that crease that becomes very important and it just kind of opens up even more and more. And even the unblocked guy can't make the play. So there's a lot of timing mechanisms that have to be in place. There's some body position that has to be in place for you to have a success on this play. And as you said, we ran it a bunch of times and had great success with it. So a lot of similarities between that play and this one one here that we're going to see. It's just a different ball carrier. And as you mentioned earlier, Miles, it's not just about when he has the football, some of the things he does without it, uh, just as impressive. <laughs> so, okay, my favorite play of the game. No ifs, ands, <laughs> buts about it. My favorite play of the game. More so because of what we kind of talked about leading up to it. I mean, there's there's some video out there of Miles talking about doing the Bobby Boucher. We talked about that all week. And he talked about quotes that he was going to use and he was going to make the noise and do all this thing. I was like, okay, let's see it happen. Like the water boy. I said 51. <laughs> well, we run this play. It unfolds slightly different than kind of what we had anticipated with the pressure that they brought. But Miles ends up blocking a defensive lineman. This is not a small guy, right? This is a big physical guy that's coming through there. And as you see here, he's lead blocking for the quarterback. He's basically in fullback mode right now. 
And for him, just with this hit and just he drives his legs, knocks the guy back, keeps running him and keeps him off our quarterback. Quarterback, again, those same things we just talked about of being in phase with that second puller where Miles in this case is the second puller. He's right on his inside hip. So just a great job by Jalen as well, being in that position and hitting that crease. But you watch Miles here just unload. He, he makes the noise. And this, I think right here, if you pause it right here, he is getting so excited about this play. It's so awesome. And you might, if you ever catch some, there might be a shorter running back coach standing on the sideline getting just as crazy with them because it, it's awesome. And that's the part of I'll tell those guys, I'm starting to rub off on you guys because you're starting to get excited about blocking just as much as you are about running the ball. So, I mean, that's team first. That, that is truly team first. Guys got act like he had over 100 yards rushing, did all this stuff, touchdowns, but he got more hyped up about this than the touchdowns that he had. And that's what you want to see as a coach, that it's about the team first. I remember a few weeks ago, uh, Jeff Stoutland was here on this segment and said, uh, the, I believe it was enthusiasm breeds execution. Is that, is that That's the statement, right? And talking about all the Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, all those guys, the, the skilled players, all making plays like that away from the football. A absolutely. And that's what you have to do. I mean, you have to do those things away from it when maybe you're not the main guy to make some things happen. And we've got a team full of guys that are doing that right now, which is awesome. Uh, another player that's doing exactly that. Uh, the second-year running back, Kenny Gainwell. Uh, we've seen him blocking inside, he's blocking outside, defensive ends, linebackers. Take us through what he does here on this play. Okay, so there's a couple things going on that we've seen here, right? You see Miles block a D lineman, and really this is another example of that with an outside linebacker slash D lineman guy. We had some things that we had to do protection-wise just to make some adjustments. So there's some things that were going to show up to where we had to maybe be a little bit physical on a big guy. This happened to be one of those times. Now, you look at it, this is a big guy coming and Kenny goes to get him. This is a great change up block for us as a back. It's something you have to have in your toolbox as you're going, because there's going to be times guys much bigger than you are going to try and take advantage of that. So you can see here that he's coming, coming hard and Kenny just goes low, knocks the man off his feet. I always tell guys the definition of a great cut block is if their head hits the ground first, mm. right? And in this case, he gets close to getting the perfect cut block there with making him do that and hitting the ground. And I don't care who you are, that's not a good feeling, right? That's not a good feeling to have yourself flipped up than have to get off the ground. Now, me and Kenny are going to talk a little bit about some fundamental things that he does incorrectly here with his hat. We never want to be with our position where our head and neck is down like that. But at the end of the day, this was a great result on the play, being very physical. And again, another piece of why I love the room so much, guys that are giving of themselves, doing things to help their other teammates be successful. So awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. The aiming point there for Kenny, is that through the thigh, like as, as high up above? He the, should the, be the, through the hip. And, and all the time, I always talk about, you got to play with your eyes up. Same mm. thing. You tackle with your eyes up. You have to block with your eyes up. Yep. So we never want to duck our head, never want to put ourselves in position. And maybe we get exposed to injury. That's just, let's be a little bit more on our shoulder, head and eyes up. Hit the same target and you'll hit it with even more power. Maybe his head does hit the ground. One guy we didn't watch footage of uh, got into the end zone. Boston Scott also doing a lot of work on special teams Absolutely. in this game as well. Talk about what you've seen from Boston the uh, last couple weeks. Again, I, I keep gushing over my room because I, I truly do love these guys and how they're doing the things that they're doing. Boston returning kicks yep. is like was awesome. You talk about the field position that he established on two of those long returns. And then to get into the game and get his touchdown. I know he's kind of had this moniker that they've been using when it comes <laughs> to this game. And he's staying pretty true to form. I think he hates it when it comes up. But he can't help it. It's one of those things that he continues to find ways to help us win games, to help us do things that we need to do. He's kind of an unsung hero in those regards and in this game he got a chance to shine some too so it was awesome for him great guy puts the team first i'm so glad that he's in the room and for that whole segment be sure to watch the entire eagles game plan show or check out tape study which will go out on friday on philadelphiaeagles.com the eagles mobile app and the eagles digital channels that said let's get into the top of the show here it's time now to catch up with c-mac and three and out how about this for a start they've got him again what a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, time to get rolling now with three and out as we welcome in Chris McPherson and C-Mac. Uh, huge win for the Eagles this past week against the Giants. And, giant win, uh, indeed. Uh, giant win, no doubt. Uh, going on the road now for the second week in a row. Windy City, Soldier Field, Chicago Bears. All right, I'm going to chill this week if you don't mind. Okay. Usually it's three and out. Uh oh. It's gonna be like a three and a half. Okay. All right. If you it's don't fine. mind, just yeah. You know, we we, we can deal with we can deal with that. Okay. I want to take a little bit of a victory lap. The two of us. Ooh. Okay. Real quick because 
We opened last week. Our first topic last week's show was an ode to Brandon Graham. Yep. And what's Brandon Graham go out and do? Three sacks, I think four tackles, wins NFC Defensive Player of the Week honors for the second time this season. Didn't win the award once. Wow. Up until this season, he's got it twice. He's got a shot to get double-digit sacks for the first time in his career. First time in his career. Coming off the Achilles. Perfect, Perfect transition. Yep. I think he needs to be strongly, and Dave Spadaro did a great job writing this. Okay. He needs to be strongly considered for the NFL's comeback player of the year. Yeah. Considering that, like you said, career high on the verge of career high in sacks could be double digits for the first time. Okay. Four, and he's a Pro Bowl player. This isn't some guy who, you know, did not produce previously and all of a sudden has shot out of a can and have a great season. This is a guy who's been at a Pro Bowl in his career, 34 years old, coming off the torn Achilles. This is the number one team in the league from a record standpoint, number one team term of terms of sacks. He's the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year nominee for the franchise. There's some other players who definitely have deserving cases. Okay. You look at Geno Smith got Geno Smith, great. yeah, he's Geno always Smith. a big one. Yep. Christian uh, McCaffrey. McCaff- McCaffrey's a good one. Saquon, strong Saquon, start in his season. Jared Goff, people are Goff. talking about. Derrick Henry. Yeah, those are the ones. There's you another find. name on this list I'm not even going to bring up. It's just like, it's like ridiculous <laughs> that this would be in there. Ahead can, you, of can, you, can you swing over the laptop <laughs> so I can see? It's a player that plays in the offensive line for the Giants, so okay. does, it makes no oh, sense. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, so bottom line, though, you add all that together. Okay, if you want to go to the metric standpoint, yep. he's the number two edge rusher in the league, according to Pro Football Focus, mm. just behind Miles Garrett. Okay, ahead of Micah Parsons, ahead of whoever else you want to throw out there. He's number two in the league. So, awesome. So my little half here before the we get into right, my half is just, you know, we did the ode to Brandon Graham last week. And then just, again, I think Brandon Graham, agreeing with Dave Spadaro, needs to be in the conversation. Really, I think, deserves to win the yep. Comeback Player of the of the Year award. Love that. Uh, I th- I agree wholeheartedly um, that he, I mean, he's got to be in the discussion. And the fact that he's not right now, based off a couple of Google searches, is uh, Well, that, that, that needs to change in the yes. next couple of weeks here. Okay, so no, number one here. The Eagles need to go to the Windy City and just take care of business, okay? These are two teams right now going in two different directions. And obviously, in terms of the team-building standpoint, they're at different stages. No doubt. But, you know, Chicago is coming off the bye. They've lost six straight games, last two losses by a combined 30 points. And we know what the Eagles are. They're 12-1. and They win their next two games. They'll have home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs, okay? Chicago, two of their three wins this season have come at home. But none since beating Houston way back in week three mm. of this season. Two of their first three were home. They won those two games, the Niners in, in the opener. Since then, okay, no success, okay, at Soldier Field. Um, offensively, they're building around Justin Fields. We're going to talk a little bit his skill set and a little bit more in a bit. Defensively, though, they're building for the future. They trade away Robert Quinn to the Eagles. They trade Roquan Smith to Baltimore. You know, they're trade Cleo Mack back last spring. Last spring, yeah. This is this is again team in transition, trying to look ahead to the future. New coaching staff, new front office regime in there together. You look at the the metrics here. Bears are 29th in team DVOA, 21st in offensive DVOA, last in defense. The Eagles, meanwhile, lead the league in scoring offense. They've had 35-plus in three straight games for just the fourth time in franchise history, and they've had 425-plus yards in each of the last three games. Okay, They're just on an absolute tear right yes. now. Bears dead last in sacks with 16. Middle of the pack of giveaways, I think 15 on the season there. So the Eagles are coming off a game in which they just blew off the, blew the doors off the New York football giants. Okay, And this isn't, you know, a lot of people, a lot of critics, a lot of fans – out there will still say, well, who, who have the Eagles beaten? The Giants are in the playoffs. It's a ridiculous. It, it is. I got like kind of heated about it on the post game show uh, on Sunday night because it was this. still being it was still being discussed. Like after that game was all they, all they did the last two weeks just beat the doors off of two playoff teams. Like the the the, the Titans are a division leader. Uh, the Giants very much still in the playoff hunt. Uh, I don't know what else you want them to do. Uh, yeah. Who else do you want them to play right now? <laughs> uh, that's the state of the NFL at this moment. Is that yeah? There there are questions about all the teams that are competing for the playoffs. Uh, the Eagles just happen to keep beating all of them. They're taking care of business. Okay, so obviously, what's happening on Christmas Eve? It's Eagles Cowboys. AFC East likely on the line. Again, the Eagles can clinch home field advantage. Nick Sirianni has this team playing its best football, peaking at the right time of year as you get ready for this playoff push. 
the key for him, the challenge for him and the leaders in the locker room is to avoid a letdown because this would potentially have all the makings of just that. Wedged between two division games. Yes. Uh, two, two road division games. Yeah. Right? A team that obviously is struggling a little bit. Um, there, there certainly is that opportunity. The one, the other aspect, too, that we haven't talked about, uh, the familiarity uh, on the coaching staff. Matt Eberflus is coming from Indianapolis, going up against Nick Sirianni in practice every single day for a couple of years. Jonathan Gannon working under, underneath uh, Matt Eberflus. Uh, so yeah, there, there's plenty of familiarity there on both sides. All right, so number two, and you just touched on it, so perfect segue, the Eagles can't get the flu, okay? Yeah, sure. You know, it's, you know, you got you got a little one who's in daycare, you know, dealing, dealing going with through it. it. Yep. Going through it right now. I've got two teenagers in school, so, you know, a bunch of illnesses going around this time of year. Just the Eagles can't get the flu, and you talked about Matt Eberflus, who was the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, where he worked over Jonathan Gannon, who was the defensive backs coach, and Nick Sirianni was obviously the offensive coordinator there. So there's going to be familiarity on both fronts, okay? So, you know, the one thing I just want to add as the Eagles are looking to scheme against this Eberflus-led defense here is just especially the opening drive of how beautiful it was the Eagles had against the Giants this past week, okay? 14 plays, and you saw a mix of mostly 11 personnel, but you saw them working in and out of empty. You saw some 21 personnel. You saw 12 personnel. It's like the Giants just couldn't get a beat on what the Eagles were doing whatsoever, and it was beautiful because, obviously, the Eagles executed it so flawlessly, but it allowed Shane Steichen later on in the game to be like, what do I want to call? I've got the full menu at my disposal, yep. okay? Everything's working. We're clicking on all cylinders. The Giants have not been able to stop anything. I can just dial up whatever I want and just keep them off balance throughout the rest of the game here. So you know, that's the biggest thing here is, again, you touched on it as one of you know further emphasize the point here is you're looking at the coaching matchups. Okay, there's going to be some tendencies that even Flute's going to be aware of, tendencies that Sirianni and company are aware of. Yep. Make sure that that doesn't become an advantage for the Bears this week. Yeah, I think when you look at it from a, a coverage standpoint, everybody thinks, oh, Matt Eberflus, he came from uh, you know, from Dallas. They played a, lot, a ton of cover two um, you know, w- with them. He played a lot of cover two with the Indianapolis Colts. Right now, that, that's their third highest coverage. They play it 21% of the time, third highest in the NFL. They play a little bit more cover three. They actually play a little bit more cover one. Now, I think they've been playing a little bit more cover one, which is straight man coverage with a single high safety. Typically, you'll see teams lean into that when you have a lot of injuries and have to play young DB Uh, on the back end because it's a little bit easier to say, you know what, let's just play man. You've got that guy, I've got this guy, and we're going to go as opposed to, oh, we're going to play zone coverage and here are all of our rules against this look, against that look, and here's how we're going to pass things off and here's how we're going to communicate. You cut all of that out by playing man. Now, we, they still have some of these injuries in the back end, and they're still playing a lot of young, inexperienced players. Eddie Jackson's players. a big one for yeah, them. Eddie yeah, Eddie Jackson out still, and that's really unfortunate uh, for them. Um, that safety tandem, I think there's some, they got something cooking there with him and Brisker. Brisker has had a good start uh, to his career when healthy. Yeah, he was out last week, or the last time this team played. Um, so I think when you look at it from a coverage standpoint, the Eagles are going to see a little bit of man. They're going to see a little bit of zone. Uh, those are the three primary coverages. They play both of them more than 20% of the time. Their next highest is only 7%. So that's where you're going to get uh, the large chunk, you know, about 70, you know, 8, 75% of the time are those three looks there from a coverage standpoint. So that means for Jalen Hurts, having an understanding of, hey, down distance, field position, this is what they like to play in this given scenario. We saw that on that 41-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, having an understanding, hey, this is the this is the look they're showing pre-snap. Mm-hmm. I have an idea of what we're going to do. Let's change this route up. Devontae, you're on the slot fade. We're going to attack man coverage. You're going to need those similar kind of plays here in this game. So let's go more into the matchup of the quarterbacks here. And I think this is a fascinating, fascinating matchup here. It's going to be the one exciting thing here to watch here are the two quarterbacks that play here. And, you know, let's go back in time a little bit here to 2019, okay? Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields were two of the most prolific quarterbacks at the college level. They both were finalists for the Heisman Trophy. They led their respective teams to the college football playoff. Hurts, you know, we know the story. Second-round pick in 2020 uh, has developed into a legitimate MVP candidate. With These numbers are just becoming, you know, sensational. Leads the league in passer rating touchdown-to-interception ratio, and touchdown passes of 20-plus yards. Um, On Sunday against the Giants, versus the Blitz alone, okay, I thought he was phenomenal throwing all day long, especially throwing from the pocket, but against the Blitz versus the Giants, which we talked about in this segment last week because that's what the Giants' MO is. That's what they were going to do with Wink Martindale. They were going to Blitz no matter who was out there in the back back seven. They were going to bring the house. So against the Blitz, Hurts was 10 of 17, 
115 yards and a touchdown, finished with a 98.9 rating and an average depth of target of 9.7 yards. Okay, he was comfortable in the pocket. Offensive line was was phenomenal, but so I thought Hurts, when the pressure did come, he was very comfortable. He knew where his routes were. He knew where to go with the football. So he's improved in various ways. Okay, with with teams at blitz. It seemed like earlier this season it was using those quick outlets, the quick outs, screens to get rid of the ball quickly. I feel like more recently, and and tell me if I'm wrong here, Fran, it seems like if the Eagles are going to face the Blitz, Hurts is at the point now, and this is part coaching staff, part Hurts' development, we're going to burn you deep. Yeah, We're going to make you pay for this. We're not going to just try to get the ball out quickly. We'll stay there in the pocket, and we'll be able to take off from there. So uh, the Giants, again, most – Blitz frequent team in the league. The Bears are pretty much the opposite, 28th in the league. Uh, Outside of the Giants, the Eagles have been facing a lot of teams that blitz at the fewest rate, the lowest rate of of recent. You know, Texans are 27th, the Titans are 31st, the Colts are last. You know, mixed results, but you look at the personnel challenges, looking at Justin Fields, who has improved in virtually every category, statistical category from last season, his rookie campaign. Uh, One thing you still see a lot of are turnovers, still throwing a lot of interceptions here. Uh, But, you know, he's been killing defenses with his legs. 905 rushing yards, leads all NFL quarterbacks, and fourth among all players in the conference, Miles Sanders is second. He's rushed for 70-plus yards in six of his last seven games, and is just the second player in the Super Bowl era with at least one passing and one rushing touchdown in five straight games, something he did earlier this season. The Eagles' defense, you know, they've seen Hurts in practice over the last couple of years, but it's not the same. There's a huge difference because Fields is 6'3", 227, and can run a mid 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. All right, so I, I looked up the stat real quick uh, as you were talking there. And uh, to your point, and it's something we talked about last going into the Giants game, it was a stat Ben and I talked about, was um, since the Eagles returned from the bye week, okay. uh, so that was that Pittsburgh Steelers game, no team in the NFL has created more explosive plays against the Blitz. Wow. All right, so so there was the, that, and that certainly held up in this game against the Giants, the Devontae Smith play. There were others where the Giants Blitz, Jalen Hurts made them pay. When you look at the numbers, since Jalen Hurts, uh, again, using that marker, going into the bye week, that was that Arizona game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, we, Greg and I talked about it earlier this week. It seemed like teams had kind of gotten a bead. You know, your, that your Cardinals go-to game stands is, out. Yeah, yeah, your go-to weapon against the, against the Blitz is the wide receiver screen. Wide receiver screen, wide receiver screen. So then we're going to tee off. His average depth of target in those first seven games, those first seven weeks of the season, Jalen Hurts, 5.1. Since that point, 9.2. He's nearly doubled it. And so, again, it's not everything isn't deep, deep, deep. They'll still use the wide receiver screen. Oh, we'll yeah. still see the quick game, the, the completions to uh, to Devontae Smith and to Quez Watkins, right? That uh, that third and three completion for plus nine along the left sideline um, that we t- we're breaking down this week on Eagles game plan. You're still seeing those plays, but a much, much more of a willingness to say, you know what, we're going to push the ball down the field against the Blitz. So Jalen Hurts nearly doubling his average depth of target. Again, just kind of speaking to the uptick and aggressiveness against the Blitz. Tennessee breaker. Yeah. That's it more than anything else as well is, like you said, defenses knew what was coming. So now, you again, it goes back to what I said earlier with Shane Steichen having the full menu at his disposal. You don't know yep. what's coming out there. So um, Fields, what have you liked about him from, from his development? I, I think he's been fascinating this season. And again, it seems like if you're a Chicago Bears fan, you're excited and encouraged by his development this season, and you know you look to build upon that. But again, it's you still got to battle through this rough patch here these last few weeks of the season. Yeah, it's something Greg and I talked about earlier this week, and I am a, a huge proponent of this. And it's not just at quarterback; I think it is at pretty basically every position in football. Is that when you give a guy confidence and, and letting him do what he does best, even if it's for, if it's for the first year, the first two years, whatever it is, let a guy do what he does best. And then you can bring them along in the other areas, and I think that that uh, that confidence, you know, kind of spreads throughout the course of the, the rest of the unit that that guy's involved in. And I think you're seeing that with Justin Fields. There were a lot of questions. Oh, he's not he's not executing well from the pocket. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. All right, now they're leaning into the QB run. They're letting him scramble a little bit more. They're giving him the green light on a lot of these dropbacks, and they're rolling the move in the pocket. Uh, you know, setting up easy completions for him, doing all the things you need to do. And now all of a sudden, it's like Greg said, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of games. 
you're seeing some really good pocket play. And it's not, it's not perfect yet. It's not, it's, not, it's not exactly where it needs to be. He's certainly not going to be considered one of the top pocket passers in the NFL right now. But you're seeing those flashes, and, that, and that's what you want is that incremental improvement um, from a player who has that athletic ceiling, that natural arm talent. That's all you can ask for. So the Eagles, look, coming off the bye week, I would expect that Justin Fields is going to be rear and ready to go uh, against this Eagles defense. Yeah, just hope he can't take over the game. That's sure. the biggest thing. If you are the Eagles and you're saying, we got to eliminate one thing, it's the Justin Fields run out. Yeah. If you could take that away, Eagles should be able to get the win on Sunday. And I, I talked about this with Greg, too. I think that that has been a, a bit of a hallmark for this Eagles defense over the course of this season is that going into a game, you say, hey, Justin Jefferson, you got to take him away. Derrick Henry, you got to take him away. You know, insert player here, take him away. The Eagles, for the most part this season, it has not been perfect. It never is in the NFL defensively. Um, but for the most part, They've taken away that number one weapon, and I think that that's going to that's certainly going to be Justin Fields in this game. Well, no uh, CMac, we'll break it down uh, here next week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here for Three and Out. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to welcome in Ben Fennell as we are midway through uh, cutting up our show, Eagles Game Plan, that will go up uh, later this week on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Ben, Eagles, Bears, we've studied this Bears team on both sides of the football, and going into the show, we wanted to start with the Eagles offense just because of that impressive performance last Sunday against the Giants, and we started with the run game. Jamal Singleton, we heard from him earlier in the show, but um, just talking about this offensive line, the run schemes up front, obviously the play of Miles Sanders, just a really impressive performance, especially on the ground. Uh, You looked at the numbers, what was it, 192 yards and three? touchdowns on the ground in the second half alone against New York. I was about to say the conversation starts with the running game but in the game it kind of ended things with the running right, game yeah. as the, the pass game was really clicking in the first half and then you said it 21 for 192 and three touchdowns in the second half. That's 9-1 per carry, nearly a first down per carry. There's even a Gardner Minshew kneel down in there. Right. So you could be even more prolific if we move the numbers around a little and bit. And that's when the opponent knows you're running the ball. Right? No like question. So they're allocating more resources, plus one, sometimes plus two into the box, knowing the opposing team's going to run it. And the Eagles still having answers and just moving people off the ball and a variety of different run concepts. And, you know, variety of run concepts. And then in the other breath, the same run concept because when yeah. things are working, run it again, run it again, run it again until things stop working. And Jamal Singleton kind of mentioned that in your yeah. breakdown yesterday of just saying, we kept calling the same play because they weren't stopping it. And I love the kind of simplicity uh, that this complex game can also breed and that it, there's so many moving parts and you study all week and there's so much game planning, prep is, you know, preparation. And then it's just, uh, well, this is working. Yeah, run it again, run it again, run it again until they prove you could stop it. I love just the vanilla approach of that, of just saying, until they stop it, let's keep running it. Uh, I think the you know, it's interesting to kind of make that correlation. Uh, a huge loss for all of football with Mike Leach uh, passing away, the head coach of Mississippi State, earlier this week. And um, just so, so important on the development and the evolution of football, uh, pass-happy offenses, uh, some of the players that he has coached that have gone on to not just play in the NFL and, and be quality players, but also that have gone on to coach. I mean, Lincoln Riley, and you go down the list. I, saw, I don't even want to go down and, and miss some of those uh, players and coaches, but the one of the things that he I mean he had a, a a play sheet that was on an index card. They just ran the same like seven, eight plays over and over and over again. And that simplicity uh, led to high end execution. Yeah, obviously this is a, a huge loss to the football community out there. Mike Leach going, obviously one of the founders of the air raid system, which is now a part of nearly every pass game philosophy out there in some regard, so many different fun monikers over the years. And I remember him, uh, you know, recruiting Gardner Minshew. At a Juco, yeah. and he was Gardner was about to go to Alabama. He's like, you want to go play fourth string at Alabama and be a GA, or do you want to lead the nation in passing? Goes to Washington State, leads the nation in passing, and ends up kind of launching his NFL career and gets drafted by the Jags and X, Y, and Z. But Mike Leach just had such an impact on so many players, some here in our locker room, some coaches in our locker room. Uh, just an absolute legend. How many uh, how many times did the Eagles run mesh in the Super Bowl? In, in, uh, it's back in eight or nine times, and we we kind of tongue in cheek say that play won us the Super Bowl because right. of how often they they leaned on it in critical situations. How many different uh, 
you know, targets they hit in that route concept, how critical it was throughout the whole season, uh, and certainly a foundation for Mike Leach. That was a staple Mike Leach play uh, that they kind of installed into that offense, and he would have been the one of the first to say that uh, you know we don't we don't create plays, you take them from other people, but uh, that that play really has you know filtered up or filtered up from college to the NFL. Now every team has in the playbook. and for every sentiment about football and his legacy in football, there's one outside of the game. And I think going around social media yesterday was just, uh, you know, a great kind of smile and ode to him, all the different stories and, you know, uh, experiences shared. And so many of them weren't football. It was just talking about this or that or history and his uniqueness and intelligent guy. And we've all seen the mascot fight clips and his <laughs> infatuation with pirates and things like that. Just a really unique human being and, a, you know, a sad loss for the football community and just a sad loss for humanity in our country. because yeah. He's just a, a great person. Um, one of his pupils, Lincoln Riley, uh, yep. coached Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. So we're just, trying to bring it back into the Eagles conversation here. Talk through uh, Jalen Hurts and his development. And, uh, you know, we talked about it last week against Tennessee, what Jalen Hurts did uh, against uh, against the Tennessee Titans from the pocket, just outstanding. It wasn't, it was no frills. It was, uh, it was drop back pass, not a lot of screens, not a lot of RPOs. Hey, we're just going to drop back and beat you. That's exactly what he did this week against the Giants. I, I'm going to look at the sample. I'm probably going to do it after record. I should have done it beforehand. Uh, but look at the percentage of RPOs the last two weeks from this Eagles offense in the pass game. I got to think has been uh, at, at lower than at any point uh, this season. And Jalen has just been crushing opposing defense. And every kind of uh, stage of his success has always been met with a yeah, but. Yep. And anytime he had you know success in the passing game, it was yeah, but it's a lot of screens and it's a lot of RPOs and manufactured completions and oh well the play action game and if he doesn't have a run game to set up the pass, what does he do? What about critical situations? Third and medium, third and long, red zone, end of game, two minute drill. He's been checking every box for yep. him. under pressure. All those areas where it's saying okay, when you can't give him schematic help and the situation. <clears throat> excuse me, and the, and the cards are stacked against them, you know, based on down and distance. And he has to drop back pass and face blitzers and face man coverage on the outside. Answer, 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 all season long. Been so impressed. His development is really an outlier. You don't make this type of strides from year one to year two very often. I think we've all kind of coveted the Josh Allen development. Yep. It doesn't happen in the NFL like this. It's been really, really impressive. Yeah, and so we we actually had our, our guys break down a couple of those throws from Jalen Hurts uh, in that game. We did the 41-yard touchdown by Devontae Smith. Greg Cosell broke down that play. Then the third down throw from Jalen to Quez Watkins on the second drive of the game. Mike Quick uh, dove into the breakdown of that one and just uh, showing, yeah, like the big plays, but then also those drive-sustaining plays uh, like what we saw uh, on that throw to Quez Watkins. One of my top five throws, I think, from Jalen uh, so far this season. Just such an impressive play and a really good marker uh, of his development. Let's now go to the other side of the football. Eagles defense going up against this Bears offense. And before we get into Justin Fields, um, the pass rush once again, I, I said the stat uh, earlier this week, for the first time since 1998, the Eagles have had back-to-back games with at least six sacks. This defensive line getting after people. They're healthy. Uh, they're deep. They come at you in waves. And just when you think, oh, you know, we get, uh, look, they're gonna, uh, their starters are out. We can take a breath. Oh, yeah, now here comes Brandon Graham off, off the bench. Here comes Jordan Davis off the bench. It's just that it's such a deep group, such a talented group. Brandon Graham gets the hat trick against the Giants. Uh, we broke down one of his sacks. Ike Reese did the uh, the Superman cross chop. Uh, there was a sack fumble there in the second half. Uh, but the, this D-line is something else. Yeah, it's deep. It's active. It's infectious. And, you know, they can win with players and they can win with scheme. And it's just a great balance of the two. And that four can win. And they can work in stunts and loops and twists. And then you can work in five-man fronts and then try to get some one-on-one schematically. And then you'll dial up some blitzes in some, you know, opportune situations. So having different pitches to throw to batters, as Jonathan Gannon does, that's what you want. If you're just a fastball, you know, pitcher, that's great. You're going to throw that ball past some batters and, you know, get some 100-mile-an-hour pitches. Every now and then, you're going to get some hitters that love fastballs, though. So having just different ways to attack offenses, whether it's the blitz, scheme, you know, setting up players one-on-one, X, Y, and Z, you know, setting up, you know, the second unit to stay fresh. Look at the snap counts this year from some of those veterans, whether it's Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, you know, guys kind of on the backside of their career. Managing their workload is part of getting the highest, you know, aspect of production from Mm. them. So having a deeper D-line means keeping those guys fresh, and you're seeing I think better play out of those guys, Cox, Graham, obviously healthier, but a much more managed usage. And I think you're getting exponentially better play when they're on the field. 
uh, they've got these guys are going to be trying to corral Justin Fields uh, here this this week, and it's going to be a huge test. Uh, the Bears coming off the bye, uh, they'll certainly have uh, some tricks up their sleeve, I'm sure. But Justin Fields, uh, as an athlete, as impressive as anybody the Eagles have seen this year. Yeah, he is a live wire out there. He's volatile, and that's volatile for good and for bad. You know, he can make some really big plays in structure, out of structure, late in the down. He can take you know a busted play, 60 yards for a touchdown. He's that special. He has that Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick game-breaking ability. Even when things break down, good things can happen. It's the whole, yes, the first three seconds are one thing. You better defend him the next three seconds as well. He's the guy that's going to hold on to the ball and look to create with his arm and his legs late into the down, however he needs to. He is faster than everybody else on the field. He's more explosive than everybody else on the field. Um, you just need to find ways to set up and use that um, within the structure of the offense, which they have done better uh, towards the back half of the season. But yep. Justin Fields, an impressive, impressive athlete and really a unique athlete. And this is a guy you don't see from the quarterback position on a weekly basis. Daniel Jones, mobile quarterback. He's a kind of an SUV mobility, you know, all terrain, can run outside the pocket. He's going to take off and run. Big guy. This is a sports car. This is a guy that's going to hit it, you know, 100 miles an hour on you and take off for an 80-yard touchdown in the blink of an eye. So Justin Fields may not have the weapons around him right now, may not have the complete competitive roster around him, but he can do a lot for himself. And that's the thing is I think when you look at the way that they are playing offensively right now, one, th- one stat that I thought really painted <clears throat> a really good picture – they're number one right now in screen percentage, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, 21.7% screen pass, uh, which is insane. They're number two in deep pass percentage. So it's literally like screens and RPOs, and we're going shot over plays. the top. Yeah. Shot plays, right? So uh, they've got, uh, when you look at their their uh, pass catchers, uh, a lot of guys are kind of like tall, linear, straight line, like long striders. You know, they traded Chase for Chase Claypool. They lost Darnell Mooney. He's out for the year. But, you know, Equinemius St. Brown, and you go down the Lydia, you know, the Byron Pringles of the world. Like, these are all guys that can work vertically down the field, kind of playing into that arm talent for Justin Fields. And uh, I think that's what the Eagles are going to see. The Eagles have done a nice job of limiting explosive plays. We talked about this against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the way that they wanted to play as well. Is we're gonna we're gonna go downfield, downfield, downfield. The Eagles have been able to take a lot of that away. I'm interested to see if Chicago is still gonna try and take their shots. Yeah, and a pleasant surprise. I think it's been Cole Net, uh, tight end as well, who's been on the recipient yeah. of some vertical shots and things off play action. Been a red zone weapon for Justin Fields. Been a late in the down weapon. So I know there's been some dysfunction and you know availability issues with some of his skilled players. But I think Cole Net has really kind of a uh, taking advantage of this change in scheme this back half of the season has been a reliable target for Fields. Uh, for me, just looking at the, the numbers, one one thing that really stands out to me, and I, I want to get yours as well, um, the matchup of this Eagles defensive front against the offensive front, uh, I mentioned the, the the one number I was going to use a little bit earlier, but I think when you look at this, defensive, this Eagles defensive line, uh, number one right now in pressure percentage, number two right now in sack percentage, then you go over to the other side, the Bears offensive line, Dead last by a wide margin, 32%, or number ranked in the 32, 10.8% sack percentage, 42.2 pressure percentage, dead last in the NFL, dead last in QB hurry percentage. Uh, that's a matchup when you're looking at this Eagles, the Eagles defensive line <laughs> against the Bears offensive line. There may be no more like bigger mismatch, wider mismatch uh, than anywhere uh, in, in this game uh, going, into, going into it on Sunday. Yeah, and despite maybe you know having the, the matchup advantage and having a lot of production, you're going to get some penetration. That doesn't mean Justin Fields can't make those big plays yeah, despite guys winning up front. Yeah. So I think a lot of times quick wins up front can inspire a quarterback to make quicker decisions and to be more fleet of foot if they see some color in the hole or somebody lose right away at the point of attack. The whole play could be busted and you're carrying somebody man coverage. All of a sudden he's going to take off and run on you. So I think uh, the pressure and Justin Fields mobility is going to be a really interesting cat and mouse. But I think we talk enough about the Eagles second half today. We talked about, you know, the rushing nine want to carry last week and how they could just finish opponents, end up clearing the bench, getting some young guys, you know, experience, getting Minshew reps, live game reps, getting young guys off the bench. I love seeing that. But that's all a reflection of how dominant they've been in the first half. Mm. So metrically, plus 111 points in the first half, first in the NFL, plus 1,200 yards in the first half, first in the NFL. Offensively, second and third down conversions at 50%, staying on the field. But on the other side, 
Third down conversions defensively, second best, 33.7%. Sustaining drives on offense, getting off the field on defense, preventing big plays on defense, second fewest big plays allowed in the first half. No cheapies, no deep ones over the top, no broken tackles where it could have been 10 and it went 80 on you. So preventing those big plays and defensively preventing completions, 58.9% completions allowed in the first half. Also first in the NFL. Yep. Stingy, stingy defense in the first half. Explosive offense in the first half. Sets up your second half. And that's the thing. is that Then it allows you in the second half of games to lean into your strengths on both sides of the football, the lines of scrimmage, right? So offensively now, all right, we're going we're gonna to run the ball. We're going to use our offensive line. Reward them for the pass protection in the first half. Come after you in the, in the run game uh, in the second half. And defensively, same deal. We're going to lean into our defensive line to get after the quarterback. You're going to drop back and pass and try and catch up. That's where we're going to let the big dogs eat up front. Absolutely. And I think you saw a lot of that on Sunday. And that's it's a great formula. And I, I just think it's fun when a team is rolling like this. You could spin the wheel and have fun yes. analyzing any number of ways, whether you know positionally, uh, whether schematically, whether metrically, whether you know situationally, certain points in the game. So this week, just diving into first half, second half, a lot of things to look at, a lot of things to point to with this team, and uh, you know the highlight, obviously their dominance, first half dominance is no slouch. you got to give it some attention. Last question for you, Ben. Matchups that matter. Uh, give us a one-on-one battle you're most focused on. Well, it's going to be Justin Fields, and it's against the whole defense. Mm. The pursuit angles, the late-down defense, covering four, five, six seconds into the down. And i got news for you. Some 33-year-olds and 34-year-olds on that defense that don't love covering for five, six <laughs> seconds. And, you know, the, the Darius Slays. And we talked about Cox and Graham and some of those veterans on the field out there. You want to keep them fresh, even more so against the Justin Fields that may have you running around for a couple extra seconds. For me, uh, looking at that, going back to that defensive line against the offensive line battle, Braxton Jones has allowed the most pressures uh, along this front. Now, part of that is because he's been the most healthy uh, for the most part of that offensive line. Rookie fourth-round pick coming from the FCS level. He's come in and he's had ups and downs. I think he's shown enough flashes. I'm interested to kind of ask Dan Durkin about him uh, in the next segment. Um, But him against Josh Sweat, uh, that's a matchup I I love uh, here in this game. I I think when you look at uh, really both, both Sweat and Brandon Graham coming off the edge with their power, their ability to get inside your pads that's where Braxton Jones has really struggled to kind of anchor down against those kind of players and so that's a matchup I'll be watching yeah I think it's some fun matchups I'm excited just to see some of these rookies for the Bears you know I think kind of hitting their stride late into the season Jack Sanborn's playing some really good linebacker in place of Roquan Smith since they shipped him out of town Jaquan Brisker has a highlight hit you know once a half He's a physical, physical safety out there. Kyler Gordon plays a little on the outside, a little on the inside as well. He's kind of hitting his stride, being a second-round pick. A lot of these rookies, it's tough business going right out there week one, being a youngster on a team that was obviously picking high and has some talent deficiencies. These guys are hitting their stride. They're getting a little more comfortable. The game's slowing down for them, and they're making splash plays from time to time. Dominique Robinson fifth-round pick out of Miami, Ohio. Kind of a raw player. I don't think you expect him to play this much as a rookie. He's starting to, you know, kind of hit his stride and get a little more comfortable. So as you're hitting week 14, 15, 16, December games, those rookies are starting to click and things are slowing down for them. It's it's fun to see. Yeah, I think this team, you know, I think people look at the record and they say, you know, and there's like, oh, the Bears is like a dumpster fire. Like, I, I actually don't think that's the case. The way that they've played on film, uh, I've been fairly impressed by, look, there's a clear talent deficiency, right? And that, those are the things that are going to get uh, situated. This is a team but, with a record-setting dead cap number this yes, year. Yes, right. That means they are paying for players that are essentially not aren't playing for you. Right. Yep. So there is some roster turnover that the new GM and the new regime's trying to fix this roster. They they knew that we you know the kind of state of affairs for lack of better words in 2022 yep and they're they're trying to get through the season and they're playing competitive ball on a weekly basis no doubt well ben uh great stuff as always we'll be checking you out uh later this week on the journey to the draft podcast we've got a lot to hit on over there as well uh the eagles as we sit here right now have a top five pick in the 2023 nfl draft the bears uh, also have a top five pick and we're going to talk about that in the next segment it's time now for faux focus with dan durkin What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, well, joining us here this week for Faux Focus is a guy who's been on the show before, Dan Durkin. You can follow him on Twitter, at DJ Durkin. He covers the Bears for ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Long time, uh, has been one of my go-to sources for any Bears intel. Does a great job breaking the team down from an analysis standpoint. Dan, welcome back to the show. Fran, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me. 
No, absolutely, man. And I appreciate uh, you joining us here. And we'll start the way we start this segment off every single week. And I'm going to ask you to put on, the, uh, put on the offensive coordinator hat. You are Luke Getze at this moment. What's the biggest strength for this team entering this game on offense? It feels like it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, it's Justin Fields. I mean, uh, when you take inventory of where the Bears were and where they are at at this point in the season, um, I commend Luke Getze. You know, I think that when people come in uh, new, they need to understand their personnel. But on top of it, they want people to understand the offense that they want to run. So I think that uh, the Bears struggled at the beginning of the season primarily because uh, the, the quarterback run game really wasn't a part of his call sheet each week. And so now uh, you, the drop back passing game really didn't mature. He didn't quite have the weapons on the outside, nor did he have the time to really sit back there and dissect teams from the pocket. And so once they made that change to, um, you know, enable Justin to make plays early on with his feet, I think that gives him a little bit of confidence in the passing game. Sometimes guys just, you know, playmakers like Justin, they need some confidence early. And then all of a sudden things start to roll from there. So once they made that switch, it was after the commanders game when the Bears should have easily won that game. And they didn't. They had uh, three trips inside the five yard line and didn't score a single point on any of them and ended up losing that game 12 to seven. They had a little mini buy because that was a Thursday game. They came back and they played the Patriots after that. They looked like a completely different team. Justin looked like a completely different quarterback. And I think including his legs in that component was a, a big thing for them. So um, the, the the challenge with this now, though, is he has not faced, uh, you know, for, for quite some time, a defense quite like the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that um, from a schematic standpoint, I'm really interested now because uh, Justin hurt his shoulder against the Atlanta Falcons. And there's a lot of controversy here in Chicago just about the sheer volume of running plays that he called for them, particularly late in the game when they were trailing. And one of them led to him injuring his left shoulder. And so now when you, you know, he missed a game, Trevor Simeon played uh, against the Jets and then he came back in against the Packers. And you saw another change from, from Luke Getze. So when you think about who it is that they've been scoring points through, it's, it's Justin. They look like a complete different offense with Trevor Simeon relative to what they looked like with Justin or center. But um, how do you find that right balance? Because what we saw last week uh, or the last time that the Bears played was um, Justin operating from the pocket a little bit more effectively than he has in the past. But um, can this offensive line hold up against what I consider to be the best defensive line that they've faced so far this season? I, I think it's going to be a real struggle for them. So you want your playmaker to be incorporated into it because that's really the Bears' only chance at scoring points, particularly since Darnell Mooney has been hurt. So um, going into this game, how do you get Justin involved? Because I know that the Eagles, prior to Linval Joseph and, and Dominican Sue, the way to beat them was the on, on the ground. But the Bears are down Khalil Herbert. It's really just Montgomery. Marie and, and uh, fields that are that are putting this together uphill battle long way to say you need to find a way to continue to evaluate Justin as a pocket passer but at the same time he's been very dynamic off of the RPO game the RSO game zone read you need to incorporate those judiciously because he he is so effective when it comes to running the football and they've green lighted him on third down. So if the team's playing man defense and he's seeing a name plate on the back, they've given him that, that, that green light to go. If you see man coverage just get up the field and go. So you don't want to take away Justin's legs, but again, at this point in the season, it's about preservation, making sure he's healthy into the off season. So, uh, really tough matchup for, for Getsy this weekend. Incorporate Justin, give him a firm pocket to try and find you know, players down the field, Chase Claypool, whoever it is. But um, I think from a schematic standpoint, Luke's got his work cut out for him this weekend. So I've got a couple follow-ups because obviously you hit on so much there. And we could talk about Justin Fields until we're blue in the face in terms of For the sure. overall talent and just uh, how impressive he is from a physical standpoint. But you mentioned the the offensive line and the struggles that they've had. Some of it has been injury-related, some of it talent-related. But um, when you look at uh, the, all the all the metrics, pressure, uh, sack percentage, QB hit percentage, all, all of that stuff, the, the Bears are at or just about at the bottom of the NFL. How do you kind of split up that pie in terms of talent along the offensive line, uh, Justin Fields and his development uh, and the scheme. Uh, how do you kind of split that pie up? It's it's a, ta a talent deficiency for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the Bears have had some injury issues on their offensive line. Um, and, you know, they've, they've tried a bunch of different combinations to try and find the right starting five. And I think that when you talk about it from left to right, as it stands right now, Braxton Jones, rookie, uh, Cody Whitehair, you know, solid veteran, you know, not as good as he once was a couple of years ago. 
Uh, Sam Mustafer is at center. I think the Bears' ideal offensive line would have been Lucas Patrick at center. But even, you know, that was a signing that hasn't quite, you know, turned out the way that they thought, that they thought it was going to be. Now, on the right side, is a little bit different. Tevin Jenkins is emerging as I consider to be, you know, potentially a Pro Bowl player here in a couple of years. He's been excellent. Right. So it's a guy that they drafted in the second round to play tackle. They kicked him inside the guard. He has excellent feet, a lot of pop in his hands, can really get to the second level. So you're firm at the right guard spot. And then the right tackle spot has been, a, you know, is a evolving door. It's been um, Larry Borum. It's been Riley Reef. It's been Alex Leatherwood. So they really have never been able to solidify their best five up front due to, I think, talent issues and just injury issues that have that have really riddled them. But um yeah, it, it's it's not a good look for them any way you slice it. And and knowing that uh the Bears real only way of getting the, the the game going is through the run. I think they're a good square offensive line. What I mean by that is if they're moving forward, they're good. But when you start stretching them out laterally, mm. they, they, that's when it really kind of breaks down for them. So if they can get that run game going, then things change a little bit. I just think that the Eagles are going to say we're going to stack the box. You're going to have to prove to us you can beat us in a different way. But when I split this up, it's definitely a talent deficiency, uh, it, it, particularly in the middle. So when you think about what Ryan Pohl's offseason is going to look like, firm up the middle of that offensive line because I think that Justin has proven he has this sixth sense to sense pressure behind and he spins out of the pocket when he's getting pressure if somebody's leaking on the outside. But it's just he has not been able to step up into a clean pocket. So definitely a, a talent issue. But then we talk about the scheme component. The drop back passing game is what they tried early on, just couldn't stay, you know, they, it didn't stay firm for five step drops and seven step drops. So what they started to do is double chips. So they bring guys in on both sides, but now you're sacrificing eligibles just to try and you know get the ball down the field. So to me, this is the most glaring issue for this team. I know everybody talks about the wide receiver position. You can't complete passes, you know, laying on your back. So I think that first and foremost, they need to upgrade the talent on the offensive line. Uh, real quick, Braxton Jones, my ears always kind of perk up when you see a rookie uh, day three pick penciled in at a prime position. Uh, and that was what they, they handed him over. He was a fourth round pick, I believe, uh, out of uh, yeah, Southern yeah. Utah this past spring yeah. and comes in and starts right away. Uh, do you feel like he, he is the left tackle of the future or is that an area where they could try and upgrade here this offseason? I think they could try and upgrade. I mean, to your point, to be able to to find somebody who stepped in and has been efficient, it, it, to me, is a just a, a feather in the cap of, of Ryan Poles and his uh, staff to find somebody like that because um, I think that what, you see, what you'll see in Braxton Jones, he has great feet. He has really long arms, so he has the profile that you look for. He's athletic. He moves well. His issue right now is uh, – he, he gives up a lot of ground when it comes to bull rushes and power rushes. Yep. So that's where he's, he's really struggling, but it's not uncommon. He, he needs to get an off season of eating well and training well, like a professional athlete does. So I think that um, there's nothing about his game so far that I've seen that if a good left tackle came along, that they shouldn't consider somebody like that. But at a minimum, you have a guy that, you know, you can plug and play. Maybe you try him on the right side next year, but um, he has been a, one of the few success stories, I would say along that offensive line, along with Tevin Jenkins, my biggest concern, though when I look at this is Brandon Graham against Braxton Jones it's going to be a rough matchup for the Bears for sure yeah it's certainly one to uh, to circle there uh when you go to the other side of the football you put on your Alan Williams hat the defensive coordinator for the Bears what's the biggest strength on defense uh obviously a lot of issues with this team over the course yeah. of the year yeah the biggest strength I'd say is probably Jalen Johnson you know he's he's just a really excellent cornerback um it, the, the the biggest struggle I think for the Bears has also been it's been injury related. Yeah. They've had a lot of problems when it comes to losing Eddie Jackson was just a real sting for them. Yeah. I mean, non-contact injury against the Jets. I really liked what they had going with him and Jaquan Brisker. They were running a lot of those lurk looks where it's like either one of them could play single and then drop down and, and, and intercept the middle of the field. So losing him has been a big blow to the defense. But um, Jalen Johnson's dealt with his own injury issues as well. Uh, then you trade Robert Quinn. Obviously, you know about that to the Eagles. You trade Roquan Smith to the to the Baltimore Ravens. This team really struggles to put pressure on the quarterback. They're one of the worst in the league. So they, yes. you, 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 you sense the theme with the Bears. It's the antithesis of the Eagles. The Eagles are really solid on both sides of the line of scrimmage. The Bears are not. And so I think that the biggest strength is Jalen Johnson. And so like the thing about Alan Williams, though, is he doesn't really have his corners travel. So I, I think that do you have him mirror A.J. Brown? Like, what are you going to do knowing that you, you're going to need to help on Kendall Vildor's side and, and Jalen Jones? Like, these other guys that they put out there um, uh, to, to, you know, the Kendall Vildor has been an issue. Um, they, they've lost Kyler Gordon for a stretch as well. They're the rookie who they had playing outside and base, and he plays in the slot and nickel. Um, he was hurt. He had a concussion issue, but 
Jalen Johnson has definitely been the, the bright spot. And then Jack Sanborn is a guy that I've uh, been really impressed with since Roquan's departure. Uh, he's one of the leading tacklers in the NFL. And he's only been a starter for a couple of weeks. Real good nose for the ball. Uh, very clean on his zone drop. So I'd say uh, the two highlights for me this season, definitely Jalen Johnson, Jaquan Brisker's ascension. Uh, and and Jalen Johnson's just been kind of that guy with through. And J- Jack Sanborn has been a very pleasant surprise for them. But really tough matchup when you look at how multifaceted this Eagles, uh, this Eagles offense is. Um, Alan Williams is going to have a really tough time because the Eagles protect, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts so well, and the Bears really struggle to manufacture uh, uh, pressure, and they don't like to expose their secondary. So you're not going to see them run in five-man pressures and six-man pressures. They'd like to keep seven in coverage. So it's going to be a real struggle for them this, this weekend for sure. Without getting too far ahead, I know that a lot of Eagles fans listening will be interested to see what the Bears are thinking next April. Uh, they'll likely be picking ahead of the Eagles with that Saints pick. The Eagles right now at number five. Uh, the Bears, I believe, at number two or three. Uh, two. Where do you think Chicago's leaning? Do you think it's going to be Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, or are they uh, open to other possibilities as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're in a position where if you find a team that feels like they have their franchise quarterback and they 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 want to go up to two and get it, that's the catbird seat from my perspective, but you don't want to drop too far back to where you can't get the two guys I think would be the most interesting to them. That would be Anderson and Carter. From my perspective, if that trade doesn't manifest where teams like, hey, we want Bryce Young or we want CJ Stroud or whoever it is that, that, that comes out of it, uh, if they stay at two, Will Anderson seems to make the most sense to me. The uh, just his his persistency. He has you know great length. He's got a great motor. I know some, some people talk about his tackling and his run. This is a guy who I've just seen put up numbers yep. for for Alabama for a long time. He would make perfect sense to me. There's clearly traits that you're learning about Ryan Poles and and um, Eberflus. They like long arms. That's 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 one of the things. If you go back and look at the the measurables mm-hmm. from their their class, that's one of the things that they give primacy to. Well, Anderson fits that category, but a three technique a three technique would make a lot of sense too, just because they have no ability to really puncture the the, the pocket from the inside, but. From my perspective, Will Anderson's been one of the most dominant collegiate players for for several years right now, and the Bears just have such a void at pass rusher, particularly since Quinn. They traded Khalil Mack, so he makes a ton of sense for me. Yeah, I feel like if they stay at two, Will Anderson makes sense, but I'm sure they'd be happy with Jalen Carter because, uh, you know, Eberflus, his history in, in that kind of scheme, that three technique, so, so important uh, to what they're trying Definitely. to do up front. Last question for you, Dan, we'll get you out. If you're Matt Eberflus, biggest concern for this team going into this matchup? I think just a sheer look down the Eagles roster relative to the Bears, you probably sends a little shiver up his spine. But um, I think from my perspective is, um, you know, they've had the bye. It, it, the Bears have been competitive this year. You know, they, they, they really have. If you go back and look at it, I know there's no um, consolation, you know, prizes in the NFL. You either win or you lose. Um, they just haven't been able to close out games. So I think that the, the biggest concern from my perspective is, um, how do you manufacture a pass rush knowing that you're not going to get it done with four? Do you start slanting? Do you start twisting, getting a little bit more creative up front? Because, you know, Jalen Hurts, I, I watched the game last week. He's just surgical from the pocket. And I mean, he's he's so, just so dynamic, too, when he does break the pocket. They have so many weapons. So, number one, how do you manufacture um, some sort of a, a pass rush? And then on the flip side, how do you protect, you know, yeah. Justin from what I consider to be a really solid defensive line? So my biggest concern, if I'm Matt Eberflus, is how do we win at the line of scrimmage against a team that just looks on paper and has looked on film uh, just far superior than the Bears? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And to your point, uh, I think the Bears have been very, very competitive this year. Uh, typically, when you see those rebuilds, a new coaching staff come in, uh, I think not all of those are created equal. Some of them I would look at as like year one, and some of them I would look at year zero. I think the Bears are kind of at that year zero. We're clearly uh, kind of shuffling the deck. Let's build our way to where next year, that's going to be really year one with this regime. But the way that this team has, uh, has competed this year, despite all the injuries and the talent deficit and the turnover at the roster, uh, definitely commendable from that standpoint. Dan, uh, thanks so for much sure. for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Take care, friend. Be well. Well, great stuff there from Dan Durkin and uh, just outstanding analysis here on a Bears team that, I uh, again, like we talked about just at the end of there, uh, I know the record has not been good. The numbers have not been good. Uh, the roster is not going to wow you when you're looking at the pure names, but they're competing at a high level and coming off the bye would not shock me if they give the Eagles a really big fight uh, out there at Soldier Field. So, uh, real quick, we talked about Eagles game plan earlier in the show with Ben. We played that clip from Jamal Singleton at the top of the show. We've got a little bit more analysis, though, from the crew. John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell, that due to time constraints could not squeeze it in to the 30-minute show, but I kept the extra stuff just for you. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And the fact that this team plays complementary football, just look at the offensive side of the ball first. Their run sets up their pass, and then there's times when they do things in the passing game that helps to set up their running game. But here's where the complementary football comes in total. It also helps the defense as well. So when the offenses dominate the time of possession that they are, it allows for that defense, first of all, to recharge on the sideline. And then when they go back out there, they have the ability to get after that offense. They're winning early on the downs, which allows them to rush the passer late in the downs. Complimentary football on both sides of the ball. And then you throw in special teams. They're also helping out the offense and the defense. Jalen Hurts has really advanced significantly as a quarterback who can drop back, see coverage, understand where he wants to go to the ball, make the right kind of throw. You know, if you reduce quarterbacking to its simplest terms, it's throwing it to the right receiver at the right time with the right kind of throw. We're seeing Jalen Hurts do more and more of that each week. Yeah, and to piggyback off what Q just said about it not being solely RPOs, this is his growth and development yeah. in his offense with Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni. You know, the RPOs can allow for easy throws, and that's what you want for your quarterback, things that can get you in rhythm. But you watch him the last two weeks, we're talking about sitting back in the pocket, going through progressions, and making throws as he's – it just hasn't been as much RPO the last couple of weeks that we saw earlier in the season. You're watching Jalen's development as a pocket passer as a guy that can read defenses that knows where to go with the football and can deliver it with pinpoint accuracy. That's what you're watching from this young man in the pocket, and that's what's been impressive about his development. I think he and Shane Steichen are just in sync in what they're doing offensively. And it's so impressive. He protects the football. He's got the lowest interception percentage in all of the NFL. How important is that offensive line? We see it with the running game, with the blocking, but giving him the confidence to stay in the pocket and make those rhythm throws. Yeah, the offensive line is, is very important to any quarterback's comfort level sitting back there in the pocket because what you don't want is a quarterback to feel uncomfortable, start seeing ghosts back there, and it speeds up your process from a thinking standpoint, but more importantly from a mechanical standpoint, and that usually leads to errant throws. And that's what I love about Jalen's calming demeanor back there in the pocket. This offensive line is the best in the business, but they have breakdowns at times. The thing that I love about Jalen this year as a quarterback, he doesn't allow those mishaps, those few mishaps, to speed up his process as a quarterback. He still remains calm, collected back there. He knows where he wants to go with the football. If he's going to make a throw, he has no, no problem making the throw. But also, if he needs to keep the ball and run it himself, he's adapted making those decisions as well. He's just playing the position better than anybody in the league right now. And the pro that he is now, he shows you what type of leader he is. You mentioned that there are breakdowns from time to time. You'll watch Jalen when he comes to the sideline. He'll go to a particular player, and he'll talk to him about that. But he knows that I'm going to reassure that guy that I'm comfortable with him. He's very comfortable in the pocket. You're not allowing him to speed up his rhythm, his timing. And when a quarterback can do that, he can, as Jalen's doing, pick you apart. And he obviously is an MVP candidate right now, the betting favorite for MVP. When you see what Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni have done with the offense, have they almost married the perfect play calling and offense around his skill set? He's the best quarterback right now in the National Football League. I don't care what anyone says. He's the best quarterback in the National Football League. And he understands the system. He understands where the weaknesses are in the defenses. And he takes advantage of that. When they put a guy in conflict, he understands the movement of that guy. He's going to watch that guy. If he moves left, then Jalen's going to take the play right. If that guy moves right, Jalen's going to take the play left. He understands. He has it down. And he's, you're so right when you talk about Sirianni and Steichen. They are so important to the success Jalen's having out there on the field. You got to put your players in the right position, give them the opportunity to make the plays, and then it's up to the player to execute those things. So when you talk about the MVP candidacy of Jalen Hurts, well, he does. he's not able to do that without a great supporting cast, and it starts with coaches that put him in the right position. And what's so impressive about not only BG, but that entire front is their ability to hit home, get pressure, get sacks with just four defenders. So you're able to drop coverage because you've got four guys. And when you keep them fresh like that, it's like Jim Johnson used to say, you're throwing fastballs all day long because guys come off the bench and it's almost like in hockey where you get shifts and they're taking the different shifts in and they're fresh and they're able to attack the quarterback, and you don't have to use multiple fronts, 
multiple sets because they're able to hit home with just four guys. You don't want Fletcher Cox to play 65, 70 snaps. You don't want any of these guys to play that many snaps. 35, 40 snaps, and they're fresh. You will continue to throw fastballs. It's the new wave in the NFL for defense. Yes. You can be aggressive, but it's timely aggressiveness. Correct. The teams that blitz the most aren't the most successful teams in this league in defense. If you can get to the quarterback with a four-man rush, as Q just mentioned, it allows you to put more men back in coverage. And you know what that causes? It causes the quarterback to hold the ball longer. And now your four-man rush is going to have time to get to the quarterback. The Eagles are the best in the league at doing it, and they don't have to do it by bringing extra pressure all the time. And the thing we have seen with this Bears offense is they will run him by design. That's a significant part of what they do, whether it's RPO concepts, whether it's zone read concepts. They give him the opportunity to run the football, get on the perimeter, and just run past your defense. And my guess is he's one of those guys that when you watch his tape, he might look fast, but when you see him on the field, he's faster than you think. So I would just basically echo exactly what you're saying. Each week there's a different challenge for this defense, but somehow, Jonathan Gannon comes up with a formula for each of these dynamic players, and he's able to limit their production. It's going to be huge against Chicago because that young quarterback is so dynamic. He can do so much. Their game is all about the run game. And it's not about, yeah, they have running backs that can play, but they've got a quarterback that's going to rush for 1,000 yards this season. That's the pace that he's on. So it's going to be all about slowing down their run game, which really is led by their quarterback. And the Eagles the last couple of weeks have jumped out early on potential playoff teams, gotten up big early. How important has the defense been early in games, especially on third down, shutting these teams down early? Yeah, I've always said defense must travel on the road. You need to bring your defense and your running game to control the clock and control that crowd. And that's what the Eagles are going to need to do against Chicago. I don't know what the weather is going to be like cold. out there. You yeah. know it's going to be uh-huh. cold. But whether it's windy or some type of precipitation, you need the defense to come out and try to make this team a one-dimensional football team. And if they can win on the early downs, it makes it a little harder for Justin Fields to control the game with his legs. You make him have to put the ball in the air. Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live here in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan, guys. And thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our content here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.